Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. And welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I like to call it, Dear Matt and Hank. Hey, Matthew Gatos is here. I'm here. Uh, this is a comedy podcast about death where we dispense dubious advice, usually me and my brother, but sometimes me and a special guest. Uh, we also will bring you the no- news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Matthew Gatos. Yes. How are you? But also, who are you? <laughs> the better question. Who am I? Why are you? Why? Why am I? Why? Yeah, sorry. Um, I am Matthew Gatos. I am a producer at your video making company, Complexly. And you've been a video making person for a long time. And yeah, people, I make people YouTube... know you from your internet things. Yeah, I make YouTube videos on my own channel as well. Yeah. But I get paid to make YouTube videos for Sexplanations and Animal Wonders and The Financial Diet. Yes. Well, thank you. Um, and uh, we've been friends for a long time. Yeah, it's been about four years since I moved out here. Yeah. Yeah. I think we knew each other before then. A little bit. Internet friends. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for moving to Missoula for initially a bad, not a fun job. Yeah, I was just packing some t-shirts into some bags and sending them out to the people (laughs) who are listening to this who ordered Pizza John shirts. Yeah. Thank you uh, for doing that. No problem. But now, new job. Yes, new job, producer uh, man. So you're also, I just I just heard that you want to be at PodCon. Have you got your PodCon ticket? I have not, actually. I'm planning on doing that whole Indiegogo thing soon, though. Why? So explain to me why you've waited so that I can understand the psychology of people who haven't immediately bought their tickets. For me, it is a budgetary reason that okay. it, like, for this month's budget, it's not listed right there. So I'm going to wait mm. until payday and be like, hey... Right now, I can write it into next month's budget. Nice. So, are you taking this advice from the Financial Diet, the YouTube channel you help produce? Or it's been uh, every week when I'm editing Financial Diet, I'm like, oh, I should be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I should have already been doing this thing, and I'm not. Yeah. And then later on, they'll make another video, being like, you know, guys, we already made a video about this thing that you should be doing by now. And I'm like, I'm not though. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be so ashamed of me if they knew. Yeah, you see, you're getting you're getting on top of your stuff. I'm trying. That's good. Yeah, well, trying. I appreciate you considering your own budget first before the budget yes. of my convention. That but, is the way it should be. But then I'm getting the swag bag one. Oh yeah, so you're you're saving up for yeah yeah. yeah. You're you doing like the I think it's like the 125 tier or whatever. Yeah, because uh-huh. yeah, that seems like price a will sweet go up deal. after the Indiegogo ends. Oh man, I got to get in there then. Just so just so you know. Um, all right. Well, did you bring 
a short poem for me today. I did kind of bring a short poem. Is it just the lyrics from a Green Day song? No, <laughs> but you're not that far off. <laughs> uh, this one, I'll just, I'll just read it first and then tell you who it's from. Okay. Dig through the graveyard, rub the bones against my face. It gets real nice around the graveyard once you've acquired the taste. And when the clouds do clear away, get a momentary chance to see the thing I've been trying to beat to death, the soft creature that I used to be. Ooh. That's uh, off the new album Goths by the Mountain Goats. Oh my god. Of course, we should only do John Darnielle lyrics yeah. as dear Hank and John poems. Like, I was like looking up like Walt Whitman things yeah. and all this other stuff, and I was like, oh, what should I do? Yeah. And then I realized all I've been listening to this week was the new Mountain Goats record, and I was mm-hmm. like, well, clearly. There's got to be something on there. It's pretty much uh, po- like all poetry, what that man yeah. does. I find that I sing a lot of Mountain Goat songs to my son as he is going to sleep because they are good lullabies. And Most of them are okay. As long as you don't know the what the words mean. That's also helpful that he's young enough to not yeah. really understand them. Like, like singing love, 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 and love, love, love has like a really sort of sweet like, yeah. refrain, but then it's all about yeah. really bad stuff. And you don't want to sing like no children. Right. To your child. Uh-huh. Especially once he starts understanding <laughs> what the words mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I find that most of the songs that I sing to my child would not be good for him to be listening to. When do you feel like, like you can... All the... Like, every... So, I, I listen to popular music. So, all, like... All of the, like, happy songs I know are fast and upbeat and not good lullabies. And all the lullaby songs are about death and breakups and car crashes and suicide. And it's just like, well, I guess that's what I'm singing. When do you think you have to stop that? Like, what age? Because he's going to start to like comprehend the tone, right. maybe before well, he starts to. The, the tone is lovely. Yeah, there's like, uh, yeah, there's uh, like a Paul Simon song. It's like the the fir- it's and like the, the the lyric like "Don't cry, baby, don't cry" is in there, and I feel like that's really right. It's a wonderful song, "Boring the Bubble," and but like the first verse is about a suicide bombing, mm. and you're like, okay, well. That's what's happening. I mean, uh, he has to learn sometime about the horrible <laughs> things that exist in this world. And so what better way uh, than Paul Simon? Yeah. Well, yes. And that's how I learned. That was my first exposure to yeah, terrorism I was, gonna say, was probably the, that very song. I think a lot of us learn awful things through the music we listen to. Yeah. And and maybe how to deal with and process things as well. But I, I, I fear the day when I have to like sing Baby Beluga to my child because I like good music and I oh, think that most yes. kids' music is not good. But when he's no longer entertained by the things you are entertained right. by. Right, but it's love. Like the majority of the songs I sing to my son, nah, that was hard, <laughs> are <laughs> They Might Be Giant songs. And they actually have kids' music. Yes. Which is extreme, like super low. Let's off. say you can like find those artists who you really like who yeah. have also done kids' albums like yeah. Kimmy Dawson and mm-hmm. other people like that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah totally that's that's what i'm gonna have to do yeah i think and i think i'll be okay he will not hear baby beluga until he's like 42 it's like what <laughs> is thank, this song i've God never heard for this. my father yeah who's uh, raffy uh and Catherine also really loves sesame street and like jim henson stuff so like that's already up in the house even though like he has no idea what's going on yeah. there's lots of that's Ernie happening though. and i'm a i'm a burton ernie fan myself yeah i'm more of a grover man myself oh yeah. really yeah what have you, how you feel about elmo Elmo's all right. Yeah, I feel like Elmo is obviously very appealing to kids because he is an infant, yeah. like his character, whoever or who or who he actually is. I don't want to like <laughs> break any walls here. Well, it's uh, part of my uh, distaste for Elmo comes from uh, there's a documentary called I Am Big Bird. 
Yeah. It's all about Carol Spinney, who is the voice and performer of Big Bird and has been since like day one. Mm-hmm. And towards the end of that documentary, it gets kind of sad because they start talking about that, like the fact that Big Bird has been the person of Sesame Street since like day one. Right. Kids think about Sesame Street. They think about Big Bird. He is their favorite. And then Elmo comes along yeah. and starts to be the new favorite because he appeals oh, to a no. slightly younger audience than yeah. Big Bird. Yeah. And so Big Bird feels like pushed to the wayside. It's not. Uh, I mean, there is nothing more sad than sad Big Bird. Yeah. Like, like any, like there are many sad things in the world, but like picturing Big Bird sad. Yeah. Like his real tall head just drooping a little oh, bit. Oh God, stop. Yeah. Don't do it. I'm going to cry right <laughs> yeah. here. I would avoid watching that documentary if you don't want to see a lot of sad Big, big Bird talk. <laughs> is there a lot of sad Big Bird? Well, just Carol Spinney's had an interesting kind of hard life at some points, and mm. so it's, uh, yeah, it gets oh. a little sad. Well, I think I think it might be worth watching anyway. Do, it, do, it I've sounds, watched it twice. It sounds lovely. It's oh, great. wow, okay. <laughs> uh, I feel like we should start with a sad question. Oh, okay. This <laughs> one's keep from the Josh. train rolling. Yeah, who asks, dear Hank and Matt. I'm a teacher. This week, a colleague, friend, and mentor suddenly passed away. Two days later, a different former colleague also passed away. I want to be there for my students, but I also very much am struggling on my own right now. How do I best support and care for my students when I feel crippled by my own sadness at this loss? Thanks for any advice, Josh. Starting out on a highest note. Yeah. First, Big Bird is sad. Now Josh is Is also sad. And also has to be there for... This is like this is a hard thing when like you have a responsibility to people who exist in the world. I think it also but uh, but like you yeah. The context we don't have is how old the students are. That's true. Which well, I think I mean, matters my, a lot. My question is like are the stu- are the students dealing with this loss as well? I don't th- I think it's just something that's uh, in Josh's yeah. life. So I don't think I don't know necessarily that the students are dealing with this, but maybe they are. Maybe it was a person at the school who died. I had that experience in college where uh, a professor of mine, she was married to another professor mm-hmm. and he had passed away and none of us knew about this until she came into class one day very distraught obviously and yeah. like told us all while she was crying like Wow. That this happened. And I feel like maybe there's another way to deliver that news. Well, I mean, but it was personally for me, I felt like she was being very open and honest and raw with us. And mm-hmm. it seemed like this is what she needed uh, to yeah, I'm do. Not, I'm not saying that it's like a, the wrong way to deliver it to you. Yeah. I'm saying like maybe it would have been easier for her to not have to do that, but maybe not. Yes. I don't know. But it, yeah, but like, I, yeah, I think that there is definitely an age thing. If it's like, hey, kids. Hey, third graders. Uh, hey, third graders. <laughs> I'm dealing with a lot of death right now. Yeah. Oh, you don't know what that is? Let <laughs> and me I'm, teach I'm you. And I'm struggling with that. So I'd appreciate if you imagined me as a human being. Uh, <laughs> and that's like the other thing is I never, until college, ever considered my teachers to be humans. Yeah. I think most adults don't seem like humans when you're a kid. Yeah. Like they seem like these all-knowing like, people who just right. spent all of their life working towards one like yeah. course of knowledge. Right, like, right. They're, like my Spanish teacher was just a Spanish teacher and she never existed outside of Spanish class. Yes. But yes. yeah, she had complicated things going on in her life. And, you imagine or did yeah. she? Definitely. She was doing online dating and all this stuff <laughs> and having troubles and like, who knows what she was doing? I don't because I didn't think she was a person. Man, I tell you what, my Spanish teacher was definitely not doing online dating because that didn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> there was some form, I bet. There was AOL chat rooms. They're, prob- they're probably... I'm, first of all, she was happily married. 
Okay. So hopefully she wasn't doing any of that. Well, but you, well, I don't know how happily married she yeah. was. That's the thing. You don't I did know. have a bit of a crush on her. Mm, so you were like... I was aware of her personal situation. Yes, because you wanted to be... Like, you didn't <laughs> yeah. need to be. They, she didn't bring it up, but you were like, Hey, uh, hey uh, Senorita Su- Susan, uh, are you married? Are you seeing anybody right now? Yeah, oh, that's you're married. Not weird. Okay. That's not a weird question. Yeah, no. Uh, anyway, yeah, in, in general, though, having uh, like having to deal with your own issues while there are other people relying on you can be can be either just crippling and anxiety inducing, or it can help you sort of like say, I have to work through this and I have to be the person that this person needs me to be right now. And so that gives you a chance to sort of either distract yourself or find ways to get through it. Um, and, and so like in, in some ways, like if there's a way to find strength in the, in the need of your charges to need you to be something, that can be really good. It can get you out of bed when you otherwise don't want to get out of bed. Yeah, and I'm sure, I'm sure you've dealt with this being like in a managerial type position, having mm-hmm. like being a superior to other people at jobs. Like I've been a manager to people at jobs, and there are days you come into work and you don't feel like working, you don't feel like being mm-hmm. happy or leading a meeting or something like that, and you want to still have your coworkers right. and colleagues doing the job they need to do and feeling inspired, and you don't want to bring everyone down around right. you. So it's yeah, there is a somewhat of a strength to trying like and, motivating yeah. those other people. And sometimes putting on the brave face actually makes you brave. Sometimes yeah. it's you're like I'm lying to myself and I hate it and I can't handle it. And then sometimes those, those it's situations, impossible. You like yeah, you have to you have to just deal. You have to find ways to deal with it. You yeah. have to find a professional to talk to. Um, and like grief is like the number one reason people go talk to people who professionally help people work through problems. And so that's yeah. absolutely a suggestion and an option. And a lot of jobs, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily a lot of jobs, but hopefully a lot of jobs out there, if you go and talk to a supervisor or a colleague or something, they may be able to facilitate something where you could take a day off, Mm -hmm. take a half day uh, and deal with this on your own if that's what you need. Yeah, absolutely. And and hopefully uh, the people that you work for, the administrators at your school will be understanding of that. All right, this next question Dear Matt and Hank, you may be aware of the conspiracy theory believed by 12 million Americans, which posits the presence of an ancient alien race of reptilian humanoids hiding amongst controlling humankind. (laughs) According to this theory, there are countless reptilian human hybrids going about their daily lives who may not even be aware of their true heritage. Among the characteristics purportedly present in these hybrids are, one, a tall stature, Mm -hmm. a love of space and science, Uh uh-oh. A desire to seek wisdom or knowledge. Okay. And a compassion for the fate of mankind. Really? It's very specific. Yeah. Reptilians also uh, often have jobs which place them in the public Uh eye. My question is for (laughs) Hank. Are you aware that you may be a reptilian-human hybrid? Thanks. From Bethany. I, was, I thought the question was going to be, are you are you aware that Rhett of Rhett and Link is definitely a reptilian-human hybrid? You could both be a reptilian-human it's hybrid. It's true, it's true, but like, Rhett could fit like several reptiles inside of him. He's like 6'8". <laughs> he's, just, he's just two reptiles <laughs> in a man suit. He's <laughs> uh, wearing that Egger suit. Um, I, yeah, well, first of all, yeah, I don't know. And I think that's, I guess, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. How do we find uh, out? I, I could be, we could be on, I mean, I have cut myself and I have bled, human looking blood. Okay. I have had surgery 
Uh, people have, re- like, I had a hernia repair. I had a colonoscopy. And they were never like, you know. Yeah, they never cut me open and they were like, where's your diaphragm? Yeah. Where, like, you don't have a spleen. <laughs> There's eight hearts in here. None of that happened. That's good. Um, but you never know how accurate these reptile people things are. And I also, but I would say that it seems like it's not a bad rap. So, like, you're tall, <laughs> you love space and science, you seek wisdom and knowledge, you're compassionate for the fate of humankind, and you yeah. have a job in the public eye. Aside so, from the whole controlling humankind thing, that well, seems like a pretty positive... Hey, I would be... Like, I try to control humankind. That's one of my goals. That's right. I but, want, like, in a positive way. Right. I think what they are worried about... I have compassion about, for the fate of mankind. I think... Yeah, but... Anytime I've seen the I reptilian conspiracy, yeah, like, I haven't heard that that part of the reptilian conspiracy that they're no. kind of here to help. Yeah, because if they're here to help, I'm totally down for it. Come inhabit our bodies, reptiles. Get us through this very difficult period in this our species survival. Does it say that it's easier now to pick out who's not a reptile? Right, if they're You're not like, compassionate oh, they not for the fate of mankind. <laughs> yeah, clearly not a reptile. Yeah, I I don't know that that's actually part of it, but if it is. Like, like frankly, maybe they were trying to like cater this a little bit more towards you. Yeah, maybe. But if that's the thing, like I'm super down for it. And also, like, I I'd be okay finding out I'm a reptile. Right. I don't want to find out I'm a cyline and I'm here to destroy humans. No, 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 like a secret code that's been inside of you the whole time that yeah. like suddenly you can just flip a switch and it's like, oh no, now you're a jerk. Right. Yeah, I don't want that. No, that'd be bad. Uh, if you as, as soon as you hear some classic rock song, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I think. I think if I'm not, I'm I'm as close as you can get. <laughs> Based on this description, yeah. yeah, you're pretty much like you're definitely tall. Uh, love space and science. Uh-huh. You got shows about both of those things, yeah. uh, which puts you into the public eye. Yeah, I mean, it, I hope that there are reptiles doing this on Earth. Is that okay? I hope <laughs> I hope that this exists. I've. This is one of those, like, Wikipedia wormholes I've definitely fallen into. Yeah. Like, those the, conspiracy the theories. Jobs. Yeah, and, like, different ones, like, Flat Earth and all this yeah. stuff where you fall into it. And you want to try and understand the people who believe this mm-hmm. and why they believe this. Yeah. And I think this is one of those where it's uh, explaining away these people who are held to a higher regard and are out there in the public eye or in politicians and mm-hmm. celebrities. And they're like, well, clearly... They yeah, must be a reptilian alien race. How else yeah. would Iggy Azalea have gotten yeah. popular? Clearly an alien. <laughs> an Australian rapper? Ha! No, <laughs> alien rapper. With a with a Georgia accent? Yeah. What is happening? Nope, alien. Ah, uh, definitely alien. I, I, I sort of have a hope that someday there will be a system that exists that is external to humans that gives us some ability to like not have to make all of these very hard decisions that we are suddenly all tasked with. with. Uh, and maybe it already exists in the form of these reptiles. Like I, I How love, would it help? I love freedom. <laughs> I'm, I'm a huge fan of freedom, but sometimes there is too much choice. And like, like I, Netflix. Like, I lo- yeah, I love freedom, but I just want somebody to tell me where my wife and I are going for dinner tonight. And for that to be a compassionate... Nice yeah. choice. Yes, until they weren't yes. just like Taco Informed. Bell. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I love Taco Bell. I want to give me some of those nacho chips, chips that are made out of chicken. Mm. <laughs> I haven't had one yet. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I love Taco Bell. Taco Bell is um, great. I don't know why I but yeah. chose, like, threw them under the bus. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know. In the end, I have no idea because that's part of the conspiracy theory is that apparently people aren't sure. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's most conspiracy theories. Right. Is that people aren't too sure, but they really want to believe. Do, I, are there any conspiracy theories that you are kind of like... I mean, besides that, uh, no. Not, <laughs> yeah. I mean, are there? I don't know. I feel like Not you and I really. are like a similar skeptical brain. and There's probably something that I'm like, hmm, but I don't. I haven't locked onto it at the moment. Yeah, there's like, oh, no, of course, reptile people and no. flat earth and all this stuff. But <laughs> maybe this one. <laughs> like, I'd like to get one. I'd like to have a pocket conspiracy theory that's harmless and that I'm into. I want to believe in Bigfoot. Well, the thing is, there have been actual conspiracies. Yes. Like, Watergate was a conspiracy. You know, there's like the, the human experiments with LSD and, um, you know, giving American citizens diseases because they were not white and we wanted to do research on them and like those conspiracies really existed and then they were uncovered and like so there probably are conspiracies that have not been uncovered so you're saying there is a bigfoot um no i bet I, I i would not i'm totally down for aliens have visited earth okay I could be there for that. I'm not saying it's happened. I'm not saying yeah. it's likely, but like I'm like I'm also not saying it's impossible. Like, yeah, there are a lot less UFO sightings now that we all have cameras in our pockets. Surprisingly, well, I'm, that's the thing. I don't think that it's. I don't think any of the current uh, like crop of evidence that there were UFOs. Yeah, are make sense because I think that alien races, if they are able to travel travel through interstellar space at manageable speeds have technology advanced enough that we wouldn't like be like, Hey, they crashed their ship on a planet. Like something went wrong. No. Yeah. Yeah. I used, yeah, there's, I used to be really obsessed with a lot of conspiracies when I was like 11 or 12 Mm -hmm. and just like watch endless VHS documentaries about these things. (laughs) At the end of the day, come to no conclusions and like not decide which side I'm on, which I feel like, is maybe the good way to do that? Probably, yeah. <laughs> to know about them, but not necessarily just dive in and believe all of them. Oh yeah, I mean, I think like yeah, it can be it can be very seductive and also like destructive because oh, yeah. because the, a lot of times the conspiracies now are are like conspiracies are, like this reptilian one, for example, is tied up inside of um, you know a fear of other people or certain groups of people. Yes, and it's like oh like like. I knew the Democrats were evil. They're space aliens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, you don't want to go there necessarily. I have a question. All right. It's from Anonymous who asks, dear Hank and Matt, so I've been dating this guy for about three months and he has snakes and he went on vacation and he asked me if I could water them. I like the idea of her watering the snakes. Yeah, just like with a watering just can. Just spritzing? I, no, just like wet them down. <laughs> so I did very carefully with the venomous ones. How many snakes are there and why are there any venomous ones? Anyway, but I accidentally left one container open no. and the snake escaped and I felt very bad and guilty. Eventually he found it and it was all right, but I basically felt like I killed someone's puppy. Of course, I already apologized, but what do you do when you do something terrible by accident. Any dubious advice would be greatly appreciated. Anonymous. What do you do, Matt? Uh, well, first of all, I want to say accidentally letting a venomous snake out of a cage is very different from killing a puppy. Yes. <laughs> so Go, don't, th- don't... Though it could result in the death of a puppy. It could. That, that <laughs> snake could have got a hold of uh, yeah. Rex. And... As long as there's no puppies in the house. Yeah. 
Uh, it is different, but I understand for sure. Like, like there are mistakes you can make that are that are much bigger than the mistake you made. Like, for example, if we take this to a different level and say your friend asked you to feed their cat for mm-hmm. a week and you forgot. That's bad. Like, that's like, but it's not an impossible mistake to make. No. Which, I will say, piece of advice to the world, if you do that and you ask your friend to feed your pet, text them the first or second day and be like, how's Spotlight doing? That's a cute <laughs> name for a cat. That's not bad. <laughs> uh, and then... You, like and then every like it just minimizes the chance that a, a small mistake that will have a tremendous friendship ending result does yeah. not occur especially and it's weird to call this a small mistake because it is a huge mistake it but it could but, have been i guess the mistake itself doesn't feel big to me because yes it got out but everything ended well no up fine. i'm saying the cat like if you don't feed a cat oh yeah yeah the cat one's bad yeah but like it's kind of still a small mistake in that it's it's something that just might happen and it's not malicious and it's not like, it's not something that's like an everyday activity that everyone is expected to do. It's Mm -hmm. just you spaced and you killed a cat and that shouldn't be possible. Um, I went to a weird place with this. That's all right. But it reminds me of a time that you asked me to feed your cat. Yeah. And a thing happened while I was feeding this. Uh-oh. Yeah. You, you know about this. It's not a surprise. I'm not springing okay. this on you here in the podcast. <laughs> but I was uh, going upstairs to get the dish, mm-hmm. uh, to get to put the food in. And yeah. as I was bringing it back downstairs, I tripped a little bit coming down the stairs, and I dropped the food dish yeah. and broke it yeah. into a few pieces. I remember this. Yes. And then you went to PetSmart, and you bought the dish that looked as much like the dish you broke as yes. possible, which was way overboard. Right, but I, in my head, I was like, what if this was like a weird birthday <laughs> like, gift like for Cameo? Heirloom, like a cat heirloom? <laughs> yes. Like, it's pa- passed down for four cat generations? Yeah, like a weird family like heirloom for your cat <laughs> That was really important, and I was like, I broke the one cat heirloom they have, and so I literally like went to the store, <laughs> and I couldn't find the exact same one, but I found one with like a similar pattern, and I remember texting Catherine and being like, hey, I'm sorry, I broke yep. the cat dish, but here's this thing I bought, it looks similar, I'm sorry. Yeah, I remember And she that. was like, it was, it's not it's a big not, deal at not all. It's a big deal, we have another one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but to Anonymous's question, Yes. now that we've gone on lots of bad directions um when you make them I, I think that the only thing you can do is feel real bad and it sounds like that's what you're doing so sometimes people are like i don't want to feel i don't want to have a bad feeling because uh because like it's it's bad and i shouldn't have to have bad feelings i think that you should have yeah bad you feelings. definitely need bad feelings from time yeah. to time yeah and and i think that like understanding what you did wrong well the, the other thing i want to say anonymous you are afraid of these snakes yeah, you were maybe not the best person to ask. Well, also, how, if you're afraid of a snake, do you make the mistake of not keeping it under control? And if there's like a bunch of them and they're venomous and you don't like them, that is a thing that first on the list should be make sure they are securely yeah, in their I cage. A, I had a snake when I was a kid, just uh, a, a garter snake that we found okay. and like it became our pet snake. Um, and so, like we had a friend who, when, when they came over, we had to cover the snake up so that she couldn't see it, which I always thought was very weird because you want to be able to see the snake. You want and to know, know that's where there. it is. Yeah. So you don't want but, all the magic trick of pulling off that cover and being like, yeah, like oh, the snake's gone. Uh, I don't know where the snake is. Is, who it knows? In, is it inside your pants? Maybe. Uh, anyway, 
Uh, I think that you. I think that you handled it well. Yeah, and I think just in that case, being honest with the person is the first yeah. thing you have to do, and be like, "Hey, oh, yeah, this I thing this. happened. There's a missing snake. It's yeah. in your house somewhere." And sure, they may not ask you to watch their snakes again. Yep. Right. Well, in general, not even like the the bigger question of being like, "What do you do when you make a make a small mistake that could have had big consequences?" Yeah, and you feel really bad about it. And sometimes, like sometimes, terrible bad things happen, and like it. You have to like move on in a different way with your life, and some and, and sometimes in this case it doesn't seem to have like just because it might have had a severe consequence doesn't mean that it did. Right, and you can't undo it. Yeah. So at the end of the day, like being honest with the person, telling them what you did, that mm-hmm. you're sorry for what you did, but that like you'll try your hardest not to do it again. That's right. Is uh yeah yeah I don't know what to. It's hard because when you make those mistakes, you feel like the worst person. Yeah. And like they're never gonna forgive you, and that you'll never be yeah. trusted to do and anything I've, again. I, like it's 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 sometimes telling. Like if you've had this done to you, how did you respond? And and like I've definitely had times when people have made big mistakes in my life. Yeah, and you know, sometimes I find it easy to forgive them, and sometimes I don't. And if and it's sort of like it becomes up to them, and you can continue feeling bad about it. But it seems like the decision has been made. You are forgiven. Good work. Our next question comes to us from Riley, who says, Dear Matt and Hank, I work with a relatively small number of people, and today a coworker told me and some other coworkers that she was expecting a baby. At the end of the day, I was talking to a different coworker, and I said something like, Oh, isn't so and so's big news exciting? <laughs> Only to find out that they had not heard it yet. Yeah. I had assumed that the woman was telling everyone at the office the news, uh, but then I wasn't sure and didn't want to spoil it, so I awkwardly said something about how they would probably find out soon. Now, I feel bad about having said anything. <laughs> what is the proper office baby news etiquette? As fathers who were formerly expecting children. Oh, this was for you and John. <laughs> as far as I'm, it's like, I am not a kid. Uh, I, I do not have a kid. Is what I'm, I not mean. A ki- I'm not a kid. Yeah, I'm not a kid. Or do I have a kid? Uh, as fathers who were formerly expecting children, your dubious advice is welcomed. Well, I will try my best to help. Well, I mean, so, so first of all. Yeah. Uh, there is some etiquette that falls on the teller. And I think that that like that, that uh, you know, you can do it however you want, obviously. But if you're going to tell the office, you might want to tell the whole office. Like if, yes. if it's going to be known and, and probably you're fine. Probably it was intended for it to be public news. Yeah, um, it's not unless but, they said, hey, don't, don't tell, tell anyone. anyone. <laughs> but I don't tell. I try. I've let baby news slip before and I feel terrible about mm. it. But I try to just never tell anybody about anybody else's pregnancy. And I'm in a place where I have now experienced about 8,000 friends getting pregnant because yeah. I'm old. <laughs> and uh, and I, all, a lot of my friends are family types. And I, yeah. And so, like, my rule has become just don't bring it up unless they're, like, nine months pregnant yeah. it's like the same rule for like asking whether or not a person is pre- like yeah like saying when, like, when you do you ask that question when there's a baby coming out yeah like when if when they have like, like an it's a girl sign yeah. next to their very large nine-month belly yeah. that's when you can ask yeah there should be like a decal that people can put on that says yes i am pregnant just to be clear <laughs> just on any item of clothing you just yeah. slap that slap on it on yeah, yeah just a little sticker that clothing sticker is that how it works or maybe just a a, probably a tattoo is a bad idea because it's a temporary situation (laughs) because you're not always pregnant no you don't it's not like once you are you are forever (laughs) Uh, i don't think that's how it works (laughs) 
<laughs> How did you deal with this when you were telling people, though? I don't remember anything. <laughs> the sleep deprivation of the last six months has made it impossible to remember anything longer than two days. All right. Uh, so I, d- I don't know. I, I think that we did like a... And this is the thing. Like, we did a big announcement email at some point. Like, mm-hmm. we told people, like, our best friends early on. And then when it was the time when they say, like, the chances of miscarriage have gone way down. Yeah. So it's, it's like, you don't have, maybe you aren't going to have to explain if something bad goes wrong to as many people. Uh, as, it's not as likely that that will happen. Then, uh, so then we did, like, a big announcement email. And, of course, no matter how long we thought about who was on that email... We were leaving out people who we knew, like, like later we were like, oh, of course we should have had that person on, and then they feel like we're not important. I should probably mute my computer. Uh, of course we're not important, and uh, I'm so sad. Yeah. Well, uh, but, like, of course I didn't say that, but I felt very bad for not. Yeah. And especially if they find out in a weird way, and they right. come back to you, and they're like, yeah, I had to hear it from uh, right. Tammy. <laughs> Like yeah, Tammy mentioned just offhand. Yeah, yeah, you know, you hear about Hank yeah. and Catherine. Yeah. yeah, and that's and and so like it it it's always going to be somewhat uh, a, a grapevine thing, and that's fine. I I was just hanging out with a friend of mine who said that uh, we hadn't seen each other in a while. And they said the last time we saw you, we were pretending we didn't know you were pregnant <laughs> because they had found out through someone they shouldn't have found out from, oh. and they were like we were hanging out with them, and they were like, I guess we shouldn't congratulate them. They haven't them told us yet. They haven't told us. Yeah. So they were they like we knew, and they weren't even telling us. I remember you told the office kind of an all-at-once deal in yeah. a big meeting. You're like, hey, everyone, this mm, news. That was exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, a day or two later, there was, a, like, a guest in from out of town to work on some SciShow stuff with all right. of us. And we were all out having drinks, and you and Catherine were not there. Mm-hmm. And this person asked the group, like, oh, do you think Hank and Catherine will ever have kids? <laughs> and all of us just stopped, looked at each other, and went, ha, ha, ha. And I, like... Turn. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> the person was like, um, Yeah, I think it was very clear that in that moment response. there was some information they were not being given. <laughs> and to be fair, I think you like probably told this person during that right. week, but yeah. at that time I did not think they knew, and it was very clear when they asked that question that they mm-hmm. did not know. Mm-hmm. And none of us reacted well in that situation. The question is, did I have a baby? Or did I have a human-reptilian hybrid? Oh, no. Well, it's be like a quarter reptile? I don't know how it works. Well, because Catherine's not reptile. She's not super tall. Yeah. She's mm. compassionate in the in, fairly in the public eye, though, so who knows? Yeah, compassionate for mankind. I don't know how... I don't know how it works. Hmm. Maybe, the, maybe that original question asker can write into us and let us right. know if they think Catherine's a reptile. <laughs> or am I baby, too? Oh, yeah, that's important. Yeah, we yeah. need to know. To, like, so I? you can know how to raise him mm-hmm. like, does he need like a heating lamp <laughs> should i water him yeah <laughs> can we hire uh, a yeah. question asker from before to come uh water Oren for you don't leave his cage open yeah he's venomous maybe maybe i've i've been bit by him several times but if I you're a reptile is it gonna affect it's you it's true he should bite you and we'll see what happens i'm okay with not doing that test you're probably a reptile too anyway oh man probably i hope so we don't have have friends who are reptiles i also want to be a reptile we don't have anyone on the podcast who's not oh well it's one of the it's one of the things (laughs) qualificate what is it called i don't know it's at the top of my uh resume (laughs) reptile video maker that's good 
it's 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 important to distinguish yourself from other candidates when uh, when submitting a, a resume and yeah, so putting reptilian on it. there is a, yeah especially if you're applying to a place that is led by reptilians. Matt, do you want to answer a really hard question? Sure. <laughs> We're gonna go to a place. All right. We started off with a super dark death yeah. one, so let's go super deep. Uh, dear Hank and John slash Matt, when I read slash imagine characters, I imagine them as white unless they are specified to be otherwise. Is this personal bias or is it racism? Hoping it's the former Maggie. Well, first, I don't... Boy, are the definitions of these words not good enough to cover all of the things that Yeah, we're not just going to say one or the other and then walk away from this question. <laughs> uh, so a while back on Dear Hangajun, we had a listener who wrote in who was from somewhere in Africa and who said that in a weird way, they weren't black until they moved to America. Because in their old country, they had the default complexion. And then in the new country, they suddenly were not that. And they had to sort of live in, like, come to terms with not being the default. Um, And in my culture, in America, which is basically an extension of Western European culture, white is the default race. And that's, like, this idea of, of a default thing is kind of hard to get your brain around but it once you look at it you see some things so the racist part so racist is a strange and difficult word let's talk about it Uh, so when i think of a white person the most important part like the most like the identifying characteristic of them the thing that stands out isn't their whiteness it's not the color of their skin because like that's what I'm expecting. It's some other identifier that they have probably applied to themselves. It's like they're a, like a hipster or they're a hippie or they're a bro or they're a nerd. Like uh, you like okay. look at them and you see a thing that's like they're like like an identity that they have chosen. Like, oh, look kind at that of. white dude who's a hipster. Right. You yeah. Yeah. You are you, you first see something. Like, it's not the first thing you see. You see something else. And usually yeah. it's something that they've kind of chosen for themselves. Yeah. And it's not always the case. So there are other things that can other people like disability or um stuff like that um size is also one where like it can can suddenly be the first thing you see about a person Mm. um but that's not like often for people of color people who aren't white they're like because that is a non-default thing it's the first thing you see about them so instead of seeing an identifier that they constructed themselves you might or i might see a black person or an asian person like as the first thing i see like their blackness or their asianness and then then immediately just sort of like take the set of stereotypes for that thing their skin color rather than the set of stereotypes for their like just sort of collection of their aesthetic and clothes and haircut and whatever that we are really good at recognizing that pattern because that's what we're good at we're we're good at recognizing patterns mm-hmm. so there's this difference like it's not racist in the i hate people who aren't like me or who have a different race than me kind of way it's racist in the humans are pattern recognition machines and skin color is much more likely to be a dominant variable in your pattern recognition when it's not the default color kind of way so it's not a manufactured flaw that you have built and created and it's been created by your culture necessarily it's more of a innate flaw, like more of a, like a thing that is wrong with you. That's just sort of that all people have, like, like it is just a kind of laziness because I, I would say some of it feels like it's built up by culture yeah. around you though, because it like, it depending is, on where you live, where you grow up, who you're surrounded by, your defaults are different. Definitely, yes. 
and I feel like I've definitely had this and sometimes it slaps me in the face when I realize that I'm doing it similarly mm-hmm. to like the question asker where you're reading something and then five chapters in they'll describe a physical feature mm-hmm. that you did not anticipate and it might be skin color it might be height it might be size and it might be like gender often too yeah yeah, and you're like, like, oh, like you hear the word doctor and then like the, the picture in your head is of a white man. Right. And if you say like a teacher or something mm-hmm. like that, like or a nurse. Yeah. Like people, a lot of people defaultly like will yeah. picture women. And it's a thing that I think you're doing the right thing, question asker, mm-hmm. and acknowledging it and realizing that it is an issue. Right. And a lot of people aren't aware or capable of doing that because they are fine with their default being white or male and mm-hmm. hearing the word doctor and going like, oh yeah, white guy. Right. And a lot of people are... <laughs> and just, we're, we're not fine with it, but just don't question it. Don't like, just... Yeah, but even when they have it pointed out to them, some people are like, well, yeah, like, yeah that's what I think. That's, what, that's, my, that's my default, big the deal. O- the other thing is that like, I... So there's this thing that some some writers think like, oh, I'll just won't point out what race anybody is, and that solves the problem of not, me writing in a, like racist <laughs> way. It does not. No, because because if, if as long as you're writing for a Europe like a Western European ish mm. audience, like there's always going to be the assumption that all of the people in your books are the default race. Yeah, and it, and but I also like pointing out when someone is white because it then says, hey, like it's not like you have to. Like you have to tell me one way or the other. Like, yeah, especially give me when some clue. If it's a white author who is writing, like sans race, expecting people to just right. assign a race, it's like, well, you're writing from a white person's point of view Espe- about yeah. these characters. Like, you can't just expect people to apply. Yeah, the idea that there's like this, like this, that that ra- like there's no like because race matters. Like yes. people who who are not white in America experience their non-white like it, I'm like so I am a white dude so I'm talking about what I've heard from my non-white friends mm-hmm. like they experience their non-whiteness daily in a way that I very rarely experience my race yeah it's it's completely eye-opening yeah. when you just talk to someone about this and you realize mm-hmm. how much. They have to think about this every single day, every hour, right. every minute. And again, as a white dude, I don't think about this stuff ever. <laughs> and it yeah. took me a long time and it's in interesting, my life. Like at the moments when I do, how like kind of defensive and attacked I get. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, it must be interesting to like feel that way all the time. Yeah. Uh, and. I mean, I think especially like I get defensive because I don't experience it that, that, that often. And so when people are like, why, like freaking white guys, I'm like, well, not. Yeah. Oh, I just did it. Oh, no. I did the thing. Because your default <laughs> is comfort and yeah. being the top of the totem pole kind of thing. And it's just, yeah. it's just, uh, yeah, it's good to have those things mm-hmm. pointed out to you. Yeah. And like how you react to them is very important. Yeah. And acknowledging that you could be wrong. Oh, yeah. And you probably are wrong about a lot of this stuff. Hey, uh, speaking of being wrong about stuff, I oh. want to read you this. Just this, I'm, this isn't a question. It's just a sa- statement. So a couple episodes ago, and this didn't come up in the last episode just because we recorded that one too fast to have gotten comments. Um, we were backlogging so that John could go on a writing vacation, which is why he's not here today. Uh, this is from Ashini. I don't know. I saw a picture of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on his Instagram. <laughs> it's an important inspiration. It's going to be hard to write uh, with all that noise going around. 
hey, Green Brothers, but mostly Hank, because John wasn't there. Good. Well, John isn't here today either. In a recent episode, someone asked a question about women of the Islamic faith who cover their heads and how this is a symbol of oppression. And that made me feel a little icky. While I am not uh, Islamic myself and therefore not exactly qualified to address this debate, neither were we, to be clear, this semester in Sociology of Women, we read two articles that explained how covering can be an expression of choice, liberation, and control for Muslim women in Western society, as well as an assertion of their right to belong in the community. I've attached them to this email because I think they're worth the read. While there are places in the world where women are forced to cover, that does not mean that the hijab is a symbol of oppression for all Muslim women, and I think it's harmful to Muslim women and otherizing to make that sort of blanket assumption. Victory for the forces of awesome Ashini. And we will put those articles on the Patreon if you want to check them out. They are both helpful in understanding uh, that the source of a tradition is not necessarily the meaning of a tradition anymore. Yeah, and I think they really got the point that at the end there where they say it's harmful uh, to make a sort of blanket assumption. Yeah. And that's pretty much true about everything. Yes. But especially like in this case, like unless you have talked to this person and understand why they are doing what they are doing, making any assumption about the reason they're doing it. Yeah. There was another another person who wrote in who made a really good point. I think it may have been on Twitter who was like, it's interesting to me. So the question was from someone who was not Muslim who wrote in to be like, is is it okay for me to be okay with this system that seems very patriarchal to me and that has patriarchal roots uh, because I'm trying to be understanding of someone's faith or, or and a person on Twitter made the case like, why are you writing into a podcast that is hosted by two non-Muslim dudes about right. that? Why don't you ask someone who is Muslim? Yes. Um, and try to find information from somebody who is like making this choice in a world where they don't, they aren't being forced to make the choice. They're, you know, expressing themselves in the way that they want to. They're dressing themselves in the way that they want to. Yeah. Um, which is a good point. And, uh, and which is why, like, I probably wouldn't have taken that question on if I didn't have, if I wasn't being co-hosted with a person who's from a faith that has similar rules. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah. I I really feel like talking to, I mean, not obviously going at someone and being like, why do you wear that? Right. That's not the way to go about it. (laughs) But if you have a friend who you feel comfortable having that conversation with. Right. Or, or like there are like sources yeah. on the internet of of it, Muslim people who have talked about this and right. maybe maybe going looking for those sources or you know maybe going to like look for people who um are advocates like who are Muslim people who are vocal advocates yes. and and have conversations and answer questions which i think is important because there absolutely are like there absolutely we do need to have complex discussions about this stuff because just saying oh well they're different from us and they can do whatever they want because they're different from us is not a good policy and everyone knows that yeah because if you take that to its logical conclusion it's bad (laughs) um but saying like they're different from us and that like and and i'm not sure that i that i like this and but and then saying like so maybe somebody can explain it to me is a better way than saying so let's write to my like let's let's talk about this with a bunch of people who don't have any of the context. Right. Like I think that happens a lot when you'll bring stuff up with a group of friends who you're asking about something like this, like hijabs or other things, mm-hmm. and you'll ask your group of friends 
who none of them are Muslim and none of them yeah. like have insight yeah, into I, this question. But you all start to discuss it and form opinions mm-hmm. and have ideas. And then hopefully at some point you realize maybe we're not the best people to be figuring this out. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Maybe we should reference some outside sources mm-hmm. and take their word on it. Yeah. All right. Matthew, we've been going for quite a while now. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. This podcast is brought to you by questionable assumptions. <laughs> questionable assumptions among friends who have no idea what they're talking about. Driving forward confusion for hundreds of thousands of years. This podcast is also brought to you by Taco Bell. Mm. Not that bad if your <laughs> reptile overlords tell you to eat there, just so you know. Uh, this, po- this, this podcast is also brought to you by Escaped Snakes. Oh. Escaped Snakes. Possibly your reptile overlords. We're not sure, but also make sure you water them so that they'll grow. It keeps them happy and they will <laughs> rule in a happier way. That's correct. This podcast is also brought to you by the feeling of accidentally killing someone's puppy. Oh my God. <laughs> not that bad unless you actually do it. <laughs> the feeling is fine. <laughs> the feeling's bad. I will give you that. It's not great. But it's a lot, a lot better, better than actually doing it. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. All right. Oh, well, we got one more question before we get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. It's going to be a long podcast, Matthew. I hope that you're not, you don't have anything else to do today. I had a lot to do, but I, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true at all. I was playing video games before I came here. Okay, good. This one's from Anonymous. Oh, man. We, we hit a lot. Of, we're going to hit a lot. Like, this is going to be mostly serious questions today. Yeah. Oh, my. I'm going to ask one. Okay, we're going to do two questions. Two more questions. Two more questions. We'll end on a lighter one than this. Gotcha. Dear Hank and John I'm and Matt, I'm 17 and I've been homeschooled my whole life. I'm graduating high school next year and I feel terribly uneducated. My mom stopped teaching me and giving me things to do years ago and is too busy with her new full-time job to help me with anything now. So my education has almost entirely fallen on me. I've been trying to educate myself, but I'm really struggling. 
I'm very behind in math, history, writing, and science. Like, years behind. I really want to go to college, but I don't know even how to write a paper. This causes a lot of stress and anxiety in my everyday life. I'm ashamed and embarrassed of how little knowledge I have, and often feel like it's my fault for being so behind. Is there any hope for me? Can I get the education I deserve? Are there people that I can reach out to to get help from? Sick of being unprepared and behind in life. Anonymous. Ah, this made me a little bit mad. Yeah? Yeah. At? Because at mom. At mom, yeah. Yeah, like if you can't, if you like got too busy to continue this tremendous responsibility you have taken on, Mm. there is an institution available for free to take it on for you. That's the reason it's It's there. It's called school. It's called the normal default option. Yeah, the homeschooling I feel like sometimes people who feel like they can do it better. Yeah, if you than can do it better. School. But if you're clearly not doing that, maybe don't. And what? So, so I don't want to psychoanalyze your mom too much, but a thing happens, and it's happened to me, happens to everybody, where you are in a situation where things are getting worse every day, but recognizing that you are that you have made the mistake you made, recognizing that you are have to like like t- like face up to it is so upsetting that and like also time consuming and also shame inducing that you don't want to recognize that it's happened and in a longer version of this anonymous goes on to say that they're not blaming their mom and, and that they like their mom a lot and that their mom is great but um it this seems to me a situation where your mom got in over her head and yeah and and does not want to face up to or this acknowledges it to herself and thinks about this a lot, and it, maybe it does weigh on her. Yeah, and she doesn't know what because it's a pretty big deal about it. I have to tell you, like anonymous, this is a, you would. It is not hopeless. Absolutely not. There is no. plenty of hope for you, but it's a pretty big deal the situation you've been put into, and it is also an opportunity. And I hate to say this this way, but like if you think about it as like, what are you going to write in your college admissions essay? Are you going to say? I love my mom very much, but she dropped the ball. And so I had to do X, Y, and Z, like two really big adult things where I took charge of my life so that I could get back on top of this. And I was 17 years old and I wrote into this dumb podcast where they gave bad advice (laughs) and I decided to take charge of my life and be kind of the adult that my mom wasn't being. And I called the school system. I called school administrators and I was like, I need to get into school. I know I'm a little old, but maybe I can start junior year and so that I'm not too behind and maybe I'm going to be a little older and maybe I'm going to have to work harder, but I'm going to do it. And or like I decided to take some writing classes and to really dedicate myself to those, to take a GED class and to really knock it out of the park and make sure that I got like 100% on the GED exam and uh, and so that I could move forward with my life despite the fact that this thing kind of happened to me. And then I had to push through it. And that's a good college admission story. Like they're looking for people who have, you know, taken the reins in life a little bit and not just sort of like are falling and tumbling down the path of the thing that happens to you as a child that is like a college bound child. Yeah. Trying to get in and be like, yeah, this thing happened to me. I'm not where I should be. Right. But help yeah, like, isn't and- necessarily showing that you took the initiative, whereas you have that opportunity now to mm-hmm. take a year, take some courses, either 
getting into a school or taking some like private classes somewhere yeah. that you can get into or a GD program or something like that. There are plenty of resources out there. Yeah. That and, are, and like ideally, like you'll be able to have like a good talk with your mom about this where you can say like, hey, like I don't, like you in your email, you seem very adult. You seem very connected to how this is making you feel. And um, and and so like I have a lot of like I have a, like nothing but hope for you. Like I think that you I think that you're going to be able to get on top of this. You seem to be a good writer already. Uh, like this is a well it was a well composed email and it was it was thoughtful in a way that makes me feel like you you know, you're smart. You're on top of things. So I think that you need to have like a pretty serious talk with your mom and be like I need to get like I can't. I can't just self-motivate myself. I can't just watch Khan Academy videos and be done. And while I, I think, like, I have never, like, personally known someone who's gone through this, mm -hmm. I know that this person is not the only one. Yeah, it is There not, are communities yeah. out there, I'm sure, online of people just like you who have been through this exact same experience. And mm -hmm. I'm sure it's been going on since homeschooling yeah. has been a thing where people feel unprepared. Right. I mean, I did a little bit of research and there's like, there's a huge scale of how this might go. There are people who come out of homeschooling illiterate. And so like, I can tell that you're not there. Like right. You're, you are. And, and there are people who go to college who are tremendously unprepared, who have gone through public school and. Right. That's why placement tests and, exist yeah. and they can help you. Like even if you end up deciding to go to a college instead of like taking GED courses and stuff like that first, mm -hmm a lot of colleges will work with you and shape your curriculum around mm -hmm. what you are prepared for. They're not just going to throw you into something. If anything, college advisors will tell you, hey, maybe you shouldn't do all of these courses or this hard of a course in your first year. Like yeah. they are there to help you and mm -hmm. to try and like get you the best education possible. Yeah. Yeah. So I will say that you might not be as far behind as you think you are. There are a lot of people who are pretty far behind when they go off to college. Um, but I do would also say like be ready to work more than the rest of the people and like and that's going to make a huge difference and people will know like your professors and your teachers will know when you're working harder because you have some stuff to make up for and don't be afraid of that because like working hard is the best skill you can develop and i think talking to those other people who have been through this if you can reach out to yeah, them you and can find some it'll make some, you feel less embarrassed yeah. about this because you won't feel like the only person who's ever gone through this mm-hmm because you Absolutely. definitely are not. Definitely not. All right. Our last question. It comes from Casey, who asks, Dear John and Hank and Matt, I was talking with a good friend of mine of six years. When we stumbled onto the idea of space travel to Mercury, my argument was, along with several obvious facts, that Mercury is too close to the sun. But my friend proceeded to raise his voice, calling me an idiot, because you would just go in the middle of winter and at night, the sun would be like 80 degrees. Do you have any advice for what to name my dog when I moved to Canada to avoid my former friend from Casey? That took a turn. That's <laughs> not exactly where I expected yeah, that question to I, end. I did, I did have to read it twice before I understood the, the implication. Like you had to make sure that someone didn't accidentally delete half of yeah. the questions. <laughs> and be like, uh, what? Oh, this is the same person asking the same, the same yep, question. Yep, okay. yep. Uh, so, first, there's, there's two things happening. You think your friend is an idiot because they don't understand Mercury. Your friend thinks you are an idiot because they are wrong about how Mercury works. I'm going to be the third person and tell you that you're both idiots because you're both wrong. <laughs> Mercury is hot on the, on the side that's facing the sun. 
Mm-hmm. But during the time when it's not facing, so it's been, it it rotates. Yeah. So there is a like the like the whole planet does occasionally experience the tremendous like iron melting heat. Uh, well, not great for travel. Not great. But on the side that's dark. It is winter, but and like it is very cold, right? Like like deathly cold. Yeah, not like eighty we, degrees. Not hanging 80, out. But I will say that if one side is hot and one side is cold, somewhere on the planet, it's eighty degrees. You just have to stay in that spot. You just have to follow it around because yeah. it moves. You're gonna be a real fast Mercury car. <laughs> the, and in science fiction, there is a uh, there's an idea of uh, like a train that goes all the way around Mercury, and the train has a city on it. And the city moves along that that area of Mercury that is neither in the in the sun or in the dark. It is well, it's in the dark, but it's right. like close enough that it's still cool. And like if it stops moving, everything catches on fire. So, so let's not go to Mercury, probably. Right, right. It but, seems complicated. But what I want to say is that everybody in this situation, me, Casey, and Casey's friend, all assumed. That the person was an idiot and dumb and wrong. This is true. And so friendship should end then? Or (laughs) should both Casey and Casey's friend and me think maybe it's more complicated than I think it is? And I do agree, Casey, that this is frustrating that your friend got mad at you for being an idiot. But you should not be frustrated at your friend for not knowing something because that is the joy of living on Earth is that we are all always learning and knowing more things. And clearly, this dog's name is going to be Mercury. That's a good dog name. Like, that's your only <laughs> choice at this point. <laughs> is there... So Pluto is a dog. Yeah. Is there another dog named after a planet? Uranus. Goofy? No, Goofy. I don't think we've discovered that planet yet. I bet there's a planet named after Goofy. Planet Not Goofy. a planet, but some, like, some astronomical object. I don't know. We always name them just weird number combinations now. Ceres is a dog. Is it? I think so. Is there a dog named Ceres? I think so. I'm Googling it. I'm going through all the planet names now. Like, I mean, people have definitely named their dogs, like Venus or Neptune. Neptune's not a bad dog name either. But this case, I think to really stick it to your friend, since you're going to move away because of him. Right, Mercury. Yeah. Uh, Ceres is not a dog. Ceres is the goddess of agriculture and grain crops. Fertility and motherly relationships. Originally, the central deity in Rome's so-called plebeian or Aventine triad. So if you've got a real motherly dog, name it Ceres. It's good. I don't know why I thought Ceres was a dog. Cerberus, maybe Cerberus. Cerberus, that's probably where you're going. Uh, Yeah, so that's just what I wanted to say. Matthew Gatos, do you have some news from AFC Wimbledon? I do have some news from AFC Wimbledon. Is it good news? Eh. <laughs> it's uh i decided uh to not go with the scores or the trades or anything like that okay i wanted to bring a, a little bit of a twist to the okay. news uh from afc wimbledon here so it has been a year since that magical night in lancashire <laughs> yeah, a word good. that i'm probably pronouncing 100 percent correctly uh but this was a dramatic win against Accrington to mark the occasion uh, AFC Wimbledon on their delightfully mm. uh, named auction website AFC Bay. Is it really? No, it's just it's a link to eBay, but they call it AFC Bay. It's <laughs> <laughs> so like go visit AFC Bay. Um, they're auctioning off some items. Okay, 
that benefit the club because, oh, like, this is you good. know, AFC Wimbledon is like owned get, by the fans. I should get something for John. Well, you have two great options that I'm going to uh, tell you about right now. One is a pair of shorts from that game that were worn by the Montserrat Messi, <gasps> Lyle Taylor. What? These are the shorts. I don't know if they've been washed. Not sure. I hope not. But they are currently going for 52 pounds on AFC Bay. Okay. How long is the how long is the It goes through May 28th, I believe. So if anyone out there is interested in getting Lyle Taylor's shorts, you have very little time because this is going to come out on like the 27th. There you go. <laughs> if you no, it won't. are a, I don't know when it will. I don't know. <laughs> if you are a, of a uh, slightly larger stature and would like a different pair of shorts, they also have a pair of uh, Autobio Akinfenwa's shorts. Wow. So you can go pick those up, which are actually currently going for a higher 56 pounds. Okay. With nine bids. <laughs> so nine people have already bid on his shorts. Uh, there are also things like signed photographs uh, of first-team players, mm-hmm. uh, coaching staff. You can get programs, signed posters, DVD box sets. Uh, there's a lots of options. But they're this having a cool awesome. auction going on right now to benefit AFC Wimbledon. And I will say, this is great. This is what good AFC Wimbledon news, Matthew. Wonderfully <laughs> done. There is a Twitter that is just the AFC Wimbledon eBay Twitter. Is it at AFC Bay? It is AFC Wimbay. That's not as good. Because <laughs> apparently AFC Bay was taken, uh, I assume. Let me look and see what AFC Bay is. Probably something with absolutely no tweets, but that is how Twitter works. AFC Bay tweeted, oh, never. Oh, they can get that. So I don't know why they don't use AFC Bay, you guys. I do love that at the bottom of this article talking about all the, uh, the uh, auction items, it says, there are plenty of other non-football items that you can also bid for, including signed footballs. Maybe there's maybe they're actual like American footballs, and so like it's not related. It's a different kind of it's football. It's a different kind of football. <laughs> oh my goodness! So do you have some good news for us uh, from Mars? I have a little bit of Mars news. Yes. Um, so Mars, as we now know, was once a wet place. Right. Uh, some some scientists have done some science. That's what they do. As they are wont to do. Yeah, they have ha- to, like every so often, to keep up that title. And have uh, have determined that uh, using basic physical principles to understand the relationship between the atmosphere, raindrop size, and rainfall intensity, we have shown that Mars would have seen some pretty big raindrops. How big? Uh, they would have been able to make more drastic changes to the surface of Mars than uh, earlier fog-like droplets. Okay. How big? Uh, An atmospheric pressure equivalent to that of Earth's, for example, Martian raindrop would likely have maxed out about 7.3 millimeters, so about one millimeter larger than current Earth drops. Which doesn't sound like a lot, but you would notice it. So this is the thing, that, like, there is, there, like, you know this, but it kind of is is a little counterintuitive that raindrops have size. Is that it's, wrong? It's not or, a thing I've ever thought about. Yeah, but they do. Like, yeah, there's in, big old fatty rain. Yeah, in in Florida, you like walk outside and you get hit by like eight raindrops and you're soaking wet. Yeah. Here, you can walk all the way to work. It's raining the whole time, and you're like, I was at a barbecue damn. yesterday, and we it rained for like an hour, and none of us went inside because it was fine. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's just very dry here. But the rain does fall out of the sky because yeah. it is heavier than air. Uh, and uh, the largest recorded raindrop on Earth was about an inch in diameter. That's big. It's a big raindrop. Like, that's like a, that's like, pow. I just, how? It hurt. Like a, like a hail. Where did they measure it? Like, how? <laughs> right, yeah. Because I feel like, <laughs> I think that I couldn't th- have been the one, and they just happened to be waiting there with a little measurement tool, being like, oh, good, just we like, got it. Just like holding up a little ruler. <laughs> yeah. No, I think what happened There's a guy is, skydiving uh, next yeah. to the rain, I, I measuring different is... raindrops. <laughs> that's not even how you want to do it, though, because you don't want to measure up there. Because they're gonna be biggest when they hit the ground. Mm, that's true. Uh, but yeah, we think what what happens is they uh, they're looking at how uh, how many raindrops are falling, and then they measure the amount of water that's collected, and then they infer from that how big the drop would have been. Right, that makes more sense. Rather than like using a high speed camera or something that's like got a ruler behind yeah. it. Get the slow mo, guys. We gotta <laughs> find out what how big these raindrops are. Uh, yeah, but uh, a, a quote. There will always be some unknowns, of course, such as how high a storm cloud could have risen into the Martian atmosphere, but we made efforts to apply the range of published variables for rainfall on Earth. It's unlikely that rainfall on early Mars would have been dramatically different from what's described in our paper. Our findings provide more definitive constraints about the early history of water and the climate on Mars. So they're doing doing scientific analysis, making models of how the rain would have happened. Because it's interesting, like, on a planet with less gravity, you have more up, like, the, the, like, if you have the same amount of atmosphere and more, and less gravity, then, like, all that stuff sticks around up there for, for longer. Because yeah. what happens with raindrops is they get blown around, and that's, what, like, as long as they're getting blown around in the cloud, they're picking up more water, and then when they fall out, that's, like, that's as big as they're going to get when they get heavy enough to fall. That's when they fall. Right. But if they if there's less gravity, then they are. It takes a little longer for them to get heavy enough to fall. Hmm. Which affects not just how big the raindrop is, but the but like the geology of Mars. So when you first said they were slightly larger, or they were larger than Earth's, I was picturing like a fist-sized raindrop, just <laughs> like pounding Earth. It's ready to be like, ah, yeah, this got like, punched we by cannot, the sky. Yeah, I'm glad we were not on Mars then. <laughs> oh goodness gracious! What did we learn today, Matthew? Well, hmm, I want to know, Hank. Yeah. Have you ever seen the rain? Uh, you know, I made that joke. Yeah. On an episode of Holy Freaking Science. I know I was there. That's okay. why I brought it up. Because <laughs> <laughs> we were the only two who knew that song. <laughs> uh, I learned that Hank, and maybe me, who knows, might be a reptile. Mm, I learned hybrid. that Matthew Gatos felt really bad about breaking my cat. I felt so bad. <laughs> I learned that while Mercury maybe isn't the best place to visit for a vacation, maybe is a great name for a dog in Canada. <laughs> I think that's like also I like it's not so easy to move to Canada as you may think. Yeah, just running away from your friend. You can't just bolt across the border with your dog in hand. I'm seeking asylum. We had an argument about Mercury. <laughs> and I learned that got to be careful with those baby announcements. Got to tell everybody at once or you're going to cause an awkward situation. Or don't tell anybody ever and just let it happen. Yeah, people will be like quietly eyeing yeah. your belly or Asking your wife's friends, belly like, being like, what? Are they is pregnant? That, like, I don't know. They never I, told me. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good. And then, uh, and then, and then, not even tell them after the kid's born, and, be, yeah. and people will be like, "Is that yours?" Yeah, I'm not like, yeah, yeah, I'm not telling. Yeah. <laughs> that's my, that's my I new feel like policy. you should have done that now. Like you should have like not told anybody about Oren, and then like in 12 years, just be like, "Oh yeah, that's my son." And he's like, "What's up?" <laughs> that would have been difficult. Very difficult. Uh, it would have been really hard to justify the paternity leave. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Dear Hank and John. Thank you for joining me, Matthew. How, uh, Thank how you for it? having me. It was great. Good. Um, let's go to Taco Bell. Yeah. Gotta get some of those uh, naked chicken chips or whatever they are. Yeah. How is it naked? They're just... It's not like there's... They're, they're fried, so they're not even naked. And they're, they're not even covered chips. covered in bread. There's only one way to find out. We need to do the science like the scientists do Mm -hmm. and eat some of these non-chips. This episode of Dear Anka John is produced by Rosiana Hulse-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our editor is Nicholas Jenkins. Victoria Bongiorno is our head of community and communications. Hey, thanks, Victoria. And our music is by the great Gunnarola. As they say in our hometown, don't Don't forget forget to be be awesome. awesome.